Dear Lord, I pray that you would guard my words on this text and help them to be faithful to the text. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see from your text. Lord, I pray that you would help us all just to have a heart's desire to serve you, to focus on you, to learn more about you, and to serve you well. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 1 indicated to us that the person who digs into the word, meditates on the word, that's the blessed person. It also talked to us about another way, which is the way of the wicked, which will perish. Psalm 2 is connected to Psalm 1. There's many different linguistic points that we could point to. I won't go through all of them other than to point you to verse 12. And verse 12 talks about uh, blessed, and blessed ties back into Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man. And so you're going to see that as we walk through this text. And so it broadens it out, though. Instead of just talking about an individual or person, it broadens it out to nations. And so as it broadens it out to nations and rulers, that's where we're going to look today. But instead of giving you the entire outline, as I typically do ahead of time, I think the text needs to speak to us. There's a setup in the text in these verses that I think it's better for us just to walk through them in order instead of reading the entire text at one time. So I will give you the main idea of what I'm driving for. I think this is at the end of the text. We're going to get to this point, but it's blessed are those who take refuge in the sovereign son. When we get to verse 12, we're going to see it. Blessed are those who take refuge in the sovereign son. So if you're in the room right now and you think, I'm really ticked off at him. I don't like him at all because he called out my leaving chapel early and I'm sick of being here and I don't like it. We're gonna talk about you and the rebellion of the heart that shows up here in some of the earlier verses and you're gonna be challenged not to continue in that way but to press into the way that submits to the son. I don't like to submit. Nobody likes to submit. But this is what we're called to in scripture. And so here you see right from the very beginning in chapter two, verse one, it says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So here's point number one, if you're taking notes, the kings of the earth rebel. So the kings of the entire earth are gonna rebel against God, and here's what it says to us. It starts off with why. So we know from the New Testament that David is the author of this particular psalm. It doesn't have an inscription, but we understand that he wrote it, and his first question is why? Why would you do this? Why would the creature rebel against the creator? Now, we understand this because we all have that sin nature and that sin nature pulls into us and that sin nature causes us to wanna push back against the rules of anybody, any rules, rules of our parents, rules of God. You give us a rule, we wanna break it. I mean, that's just kind of the way some sin natures operate and work. Some of you are rule followers, I can't relate to you. But the question here is why? Why do the nations wanna rebel against their creator? So why do the nations rage? What does the word rage mean? Disorderly conduct. Rage, fury, anger, hatred. The hatred of the human heart against the creator who has said this is the way you should live your life. Why do the nations rage and push back? 
It broadens to the peoples in the second half, and it says the word plot. Now, if you write your Bibles, you can circle that word plot, and you can draw a line back up to chapter one, verse two, where it says meditates, and this is important to get, is that if you are leaning into the word of God, if you are wanting to follow in the way of wisdom, in the way of the blessed person, then you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. If you are rebelling against God and you are pushing back away from all of that and you are in anger over the fact there is a God that has rules, then you meditate, you plot, same word, you're plotting against the Lord with others to figure out how you can get out from under his rules. But notice what it says, you plot in vain. You can't do it. Because there is a God and he is sovereign. And so, dear brothers and sisters, if I could plead with you to say, don't plot against the Lord in your personal life, it won't work. It's only gonna bring heartache and misery for you to say, I don't want God and his rules. I don't wanna do this thing God's way. I'm gonna push back against God. I'm gonna do things my way. That's the way I wanna live. It's in vain that you are trying to escape the righteous judgment of a holy God who controls everything. Verse two says, the kings of the earth. Notice where they are located. They are in the earth. That's gonna be important when we move to looking at where God is. They set themselves and the rulers take counsel. They get together and plot and plan and think about and what are they after? Against the Lord and against his anointed. This word anointed, it's interesting. The word Messiah comes from a transliterating of the Hebrew word for anointed, and the word Christ comes from translated anointed into Greek. And so here we're gonna see that this text is not just giving us an introduction to Psalms, but is foreshadowing. So it's not just a royal psalm that talks about a king being anointed, but it's also a messianic psalm that's gonna point to Christ. And I'll show you that here in just a minute. But first, we look at what they wanna do. Let's burst their bonds apart and cast away the cord from us. These kings, these nations, they wanna rebel. They wanna get away. And so here, I wanna say to you, that this is a cosmic battle that is taking place with the smartest and most powerful people in all of the earth pushing back against a holy and righteous God to say his words are not true. We don't wanna live under his rules. This is not the way we should do this. And this shows up again in the book of Acts. Acts chapter four, verses 23 through 28. I have the text for you on the screen so that you can look at it with me. Here's what it says. You remember Acts chapter four, Peter and them standing before the Sanhedrin. By what power do you do this? There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. You can't go tell people about this. Whether it's right for you to, us to tell people or not, it's for you to decide, but we cannot speak about these things we know. In verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, the one in charge, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, the creator of all things, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, by the Holy Spirit said, and here's our passage, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
So all of the world pushes back against the sovereign king and the sovereign ruler. They seek to kill the anointed one, the Messiah. And does it work? The cross is actually the plan all along. And the resurrection is part of that plan. And so what does God do? He's God. What do I do when I look out and see things like North Korea's rulers and China's rulers and Russia's rulers and they're powerful people. They could kill me without blinking an eye or breaking a sweat. They're powerful people. Like it's, God, what's going on here? So what does God do? It shows us. Look what it says in verse four. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So the kings of the earth rebel. The response for the God of heaven is he laughs at them. Now, in my mind, I can't help but think of a child. Two-year-old, three-year-old, I don't, I don't know. Pick, pick your age, a child who comes up to the father and says, I can take you. And dad's sitting in his recliner watching football because football has started again, says to the child, sure, right. There's no chance. But this is infinitely a bigger distinction than even that. What does the text say to us? Notice the key words, the God of heaven. It's the kings of the earth. It's the God of the heaven. And that God of heaven, does he get up and look around? Oh my, all these kings are plotting. All these kings are planning. What's gonna happen? What do we do? He sits. I'm not worried about you people. You know what God does when we plot against him and when we rebel against him? He loves us. He wants us to do the right things, but God's not worried about us. We're not gonna overthrow God. We're not gonna ask questions that causes God to say, what's going on here? Or I hadn't thought of that one before. There's nothing we can do in this life that surprises an all-knowing, omnipotent, sovereign God. There's nothing the kings are ever gonna do in this entire world. And so the safest place we can be is right in the center of the Lord's will. Friends, if God calls you overseas to be a missionary and you don't You don't think, oh, am I gonna be safe? If God called me overseas to do this, I'm gonna be exactly where God wants me to be, doing exactly what God wants me to do. The question is, do I trust God? Is God a good God? And here God sits. He's not worried about them. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. He holds them in derision. And then he speaks to them in his wrath and terrifies them in his fury. And he says at this particular point, he says, I've set my king on Zion. Now, David's writing this. The temple is not yet built, but they're looking forward to this and even past this to say, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The God of heaven not only laughs in response, the God of heaven also issues a decree. And that's what we see in verses seven through nine. He says, I will tell of the decree. Now, this is important because it's mentioned frequently throughout the rest of the Bible. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
So Psalm 1, Psalm 2, introduction to the book of Psalms, setting the trajectory for what we'll look at as we see all of these other Psalms. The introduction has set our stage for us. So what's happening here in verse 7? The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 say this. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's talking about David. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So this is not just David, but this is the entire lineage. So we jump forward to see what this says in Acts 13, 33. In Acts 13, 33, it's also quoting this and it says, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus up from the grave as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So this is pointing to the future lineage of David This is pointing, we know from the New Testament, to the Messiah. And then, as you heard on last Thursday from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, it is the greater Jesus, the Jesus is better. And it says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So here, this language of my son and begotten you is foreshadowing a whole lot that happens throughout the New Testament and a lot of what we're gonna see here in the rest of the Psalms. And then in verse nine, we see this again as well. It says, you shall break them. Break, probably not strong enough word. Shatter, probably brings a better connotation to mind. You shall shatter them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What chance does the clay have against a rod of iron? None. None. What chance do we have to successfully overthrow the God of the universe? None. Dear friends, we have two options. We pursue the way of the blessed, the way of wisdom, We meditate on his law day and night. We repent of our sins. We confess them before God. We accept what he has done for us on the cross. We submit to the sovereign son and we experience a life of blessing. Or we in our rebel heart say, I'm rejecting all of that. And if we reject all of that, this is the way of those who will perish. This is the way of those who will be crushed in their rebellion against the one true king. When things rise up in your heart, they manifest themselves in symptoms. Bad speech, bad actions, bad attitudes, things that you do that just push back against a holy, just, and righteous God. And friends, God is gracious to us to allow us to take our heart's temperature and the words that we say and the actions that we do and our response should be to fall on our knees and confess, Lord, I'm not worthy. I wanna pursue your way through the power of your spirit. Help me to pursue your way through your word. Help me to pursue your way. Friends, I plead with you. Pursue the way that is the way of the blessed and not the way of those who will perish in judgment. Here's what Revelation 19 verses 15 and 16 says. Because when Jesus comes again, he's not coming as a, a baby in a manger. When Jesus comes again, he's not coming as the Jesus we like to picture in our mind, the the Barney Jesus, 
I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. When Jesus comes again, he's not your best friend. He's not your cuddle bunny. He's not your security blanket. When Jesus comes again, it says now from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, when we see the chaos that happens in the world, when we see everything that takes place and we have opportunity for our hearts to get nervous, for us to be fearful, for us to doubt, for us to be dismayed, I wanna say to you, the end is already written. We know who the King of Kings is and the Lord of Lords is. We know who wins in the end. We know exactly how this thing unfolds and happens. When he comes again, he will put everything in submission. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So friends, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. If we wake up every morning and do the Lord's will, that's it. This life is not our permanent home. I'm not worried about all the things that will happen in this temporary dwelling that we have on earth. Because one day we're gonna be in eternity with our heavenly father and that's what matters the most. How we used our lives in the days he's given us to invest in local churches and sharing the gospel and planning churches and being on mission so that we could expand God's kingdom, we could share with others. Those are the things that will last forever, friends. So God then issues his decree and then our text closes with the warning. The God of heaven warns. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, all right, we're pushing toward the conclusion. Here's what we're after. We understand it. All the kings of the earth rebel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. What's he gonna tell them? What are we to do? What's our response? Serve the Lord with fear. Worship the Lord with fear with fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A healthy understanding of who we are and who God is says to us, worship or serve the Lord and do it with fear. And rejoice with trembling. This is what he says to the kings of the earth, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. You notice that phrase, perish in the way, right? Does that bring to mind chapter one, verse six? But the way of the wicked will perish. Here restated for emphasis, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, the way of the wicked, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Oh, but here it is. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So here we are, friends. Which way will we choose? Will we choose the way of the blessed? 
where we delight in the law of the Lord and we meditate on it day and night, where we seek to serve the Son and we do so with a fear, knowing that he is awesome and that we should revere him with a reverence. Do we have great joy at what he has offered us in salvation and have trembling that we would serve him well? Or do we rebel in our hearts and push back against this? Do we rebel and say, I want nothing to do with it? This is the way that will perish. Be warned, oh students. Be warned, oh human. For the way of the wicked will perish. Serve the sun while you still can. Here's our flow of our text. Here's our outline. Just in case you need them all four put on one slide. The kings of earth rebel. God laughs. So then he issues his decree and says, here's actually what's gonna happen. And then he issues his warning and says, you better serve the sun or you're gonna perish. It's pretty simple. The kings, everybody in society, you get it? They're pushing back. They're saying, no, we're not gonna do this. This is what we experience. This is why we have theories like evolution. If we can just, they take counsel. If we can have evolution and we can get rid of God as creator, then if God didn't create us, then we don't have to stand judgment before God. So we remove God as creator altogether. And then we can do away with a biblical worldview. We can do away with God's truth. And so let's have something where all of this just suddenly happened out of nothing. And then we're not responsible to the creator because there is no creator. You see the logic there. Oh, let's do away with truth. Let's make sure that there is no universal truth. There's my truth and there's your truth, but there is no one way to heaven. There is no the truth. There is no way, the truth, and the life. There is no one universal person. And so pluralism and postmodernism and all of these things develop and we create all these things to push back against this. False religions rise up. Let's get close, but not there. Let's do it by works and not by grace. We want something slightly different just so it will confuse people and they'll think I can earn my way to heaven, but I'm not going to get there by grace. And so it's different from what the Bible says is the truth and the way that we're to do this. All of the earth, all of the kings, all of the universities get together with their minds and they take counsel to push back against the one true God. And the one true God's response is, ha. Maybe ha ha. I don't know if he laughed once or twice. He doesn't even stand up. He laughs. Let me tell you what happens, his decree. And then let me issue a warning to you all. Serve the sovereign son. Here's your application. Jesus is the sovereign king of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, I'm nobody. You're nobody. None of us matter. We're gonna live this life. It's gonna be a vapor and we're gone. The only thing that's gonna matter in this life is what we do for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You want your life to matter? You want your life to mean something? Then put your life into his story and work hard for his story because his story is the only story that's gonna remain. You want your life to matter? Get 20 of you together and go plant a church in a city that needs a church planted and spend your life winning people to Christ and planting churches in cities that need solid Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. You want your life to matter? 
Go on the mission field to a place they've never heard the name of Jesus and make sure they have the Bible in their language and the name of Jesus is proclaimed. You want your life to matter? Serve King Jesus wherever he sends you to the best of your ability. If you fear God, you don't fear anything else. You can't kill me. Okay. You kill me, I don't have to worry about what happens tomorrow or the next day or all the worries of this world. I get to go be with Jesus. Okay. Serve faithfully to the end. But friends, if you don't fear Jesus, oh, then you better fear everything because anything can send you to the judgment that is to come. We got two ways. The way of the blessed, the way of the wicked. The blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord, those who serve the Lord with fear, those who take refuge in the Son. So my plea to you is to be the blessed. Let's be those who are blessed. Don't forget about your bookmarks. They're down here in the front. You can come get them afterwards. And don't ever forget that you are loved. You're loved by those of us here at Cedarville, but more importantly, you are loved by God Almighty. Let's pray as the band comes and we prepare to worship. Dear God, you are a good God. Lord, we are not worthy of the grace and the mercy that you've given us. And so Lord, today we humble ourselves, recognizing that you are the sovereign king of the universe in control of all things and that we are not. And God, that is a good thing. God, you are an awesome God. You are a powerful God. You are an amazing God. So Lord, help us to worship you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.